Hey everyone, this is Flippant Finance. I'm Sam Hismoyer and I'm joined by my co-host Fabian. Hello, hello. Today is February 6th, 2024 and we're back. We're back after a little hiatus. Fabian had a little paternity leave um, and we got into a little fight because he didn't name his child a strong biblical name like Samuel, but it's fine. We've moved on from that. Um, any comment from you, Fabian? Yeah, well, maybe you think we've moved on. I'm still, I'm, I'm still holding on to it. <laughs> um, today we are covering the new 2024 retirement numbers and strategies, and the market hit an all-time high. So we're going to cover that uh, here in a moment. But before that, kick the disclosure music. As always, none of this is investment advice and does not constitute an offer to buy or sell securities, nor do any of my opinions reflect those of my employer, Valeria Financial Advisors, or any of its affiliates. This is for educational purposes only. Things change, so we have no duty to go back and revise any of this information. With that out of the way, it sounds like you're still holding on to some feelings. Yeah, yeah, I, I am, Sam. But that's okay. We're going to move on. It's 2024. It's a new year. I've got a renewed vision for life. Okay. I'm excited. You know, last year's done and over. Good. The market hit an all-time high, you said, apparently. So, yeah, things are looking looking good. Are you just not sleeping so you don't know? You don't track this? Exactly, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sleep's getting a little bit better, though. You'll learn one day. Okay. Maybe. One day. I don't know. Uh, Austin's already not sleeping with our pets, so I can't imagine what a child would do. Anyways, we should talk about the new changes for 24. So... Do you know how much you can squirrel away into a 401k this year? $100,000. That's not right. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so uh, the total uh, total contributions for a 401k is 69000 And then if you're over 50, so we have something to look forward to, you can do a catch-up provision for 7500 So that means the total uh, contribution that you can do into uh, a 401k is $76,500. That's total. So that's employer and employee contributions. But employee contributions are capped at 23000 plus that catch-up. So mm-hmm. if you are jokingly a corporate slave like me and not a cool entrepreneur like you, I can only put in 23000 into my 401k before I get capped out. Or Fabian he has something that's called a solo 401k, which is pretty cool. I'm actually writing an article on that right now. You are the employee and employer, so you can make both sides of those contributions and kind of max that out from there. Oh, interesting. We'll have to go into a little bit more detail when we get into that part of the newsletter. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Quick question before we move on. So an employee, so you in this example can give up to 23,000, but the total contribution is 69. So is the can the employer do more than a 100% match to make up that gain to 69K? Or does that include the 7,500 for people that are over 50? Yeah. So the employer can do, can put a lot more in, but typically what happens is the benevolent overlord will, let's just say they give you a 100% match, which is kind yeah. of, kind of unheard of. And that means you're sitting at roughly 46000 in your 401k. There are a couple of strategies you can do to fully max it out. So there's something called the mega backdoor Roth. Mm. Oh, and so, this is, so we'll get to that, right? Yeah, yeah we can get to that yeah. too. But, but typically, like most people, so like my employer, they, I think they only match up to like 6%. So like if I was to max my 401k, I'm, I'm only putting 30 away. So there's a lot I could still kind of put into that if, yeah. if possible. Got it. The next one is IRAs. 
Do you know what IRA stands for? I, I do. Did you know before you looked at the newsletter? <laughs> I, I didn't. Okay. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. I knew two thirds, two thirds okay. of it. Okay. Which is probably where most people sit. Yes. So IRA actually stands for individual retirement arrangement and not, not account. So you can drop that awkwardly at your next networking event. It's good. Maybe a good icebreaker besides like asking how much a polar bear weighs, you know? I don't know. How <laughs> much does a polar bear weigh? Is that enough like to a... break the enough to break the ice, Fabian? Wow. Have you never heard that? Oh <laughs> wow. <laughs> Dad uh, joke but, repertoire. That's going in my tool belt. Oh my gosh. So for this year, you can contribute up to seven thousand dollars into an IRA and take the deduction on your income. So typically you would whatever money you put into an IRA lowers your AGI, which lowers your your tax bill. But there is phase outs for that. So for example, if you're if you're single and you're making over eighty three thousand, there's no there's no income deduction for making an IRA. If you're married finally jointly and you make over $136,000, there is no income deduction for that. So keep in mind there for that one. I don't I don't like that. It's just how the rules are. We'll talk about some things to do to get around that or to maximize what you're allowed to do. There's also, so uh, IRA assets, you put in there pre-tax, they grow tax-free. And then when you take them out, they're taxed at your current tax rate from there. Then you have the Roth IRA. So this is after-tax money you're putting into a Roth that grows tax-free that is then pulled out uh, tax-free. So as an advisor, I kind of love Roth IRAs a little bit more than IRAs. But uh, same limit there, you can do $7,000 into a Roth IRA, but it has AGI cutoffs as well that you need to be cognizant of. Um, so if you are married filing jointly and you make over $228,000, you cannot contribute any money into them. And if you're single and you make over $153,000, you cannot contribute into any of them. So if you, for whatever reason, have a direct deposit, and you accidentally put into an IRA or a Roth IRA when you're not supposed to, you'll have to do, you have to back it out doing uh, an excess contribution form. It's a little annoying. Do you get like, do you get dinged in any other, like, are there penalties for doing that? There's, I don't really think there's penalties per se. I think the penalty is more like you have to go back and fix your taxes and do the excess contribution form. Yeah. <laughs> That's a penalty within itself. But let's say, First world problems, you're phased out and you can't do the IRA or the Roth IRA. There's something called the backdoor Roth. So are you familiar with this, Fabian? So yes, I am. But if you were to ask me to explain it to a fifth grader or my mom, I couldn't do it. You you want to try? I'm not trying to put you on the spot. Okay. So (laughs) backdoor Roth, Roth, and this is in the newsletter if you go and uh, view the history of it. Backdoor Roth is where you take uh, a non-deductible IRA contribution, meaning you don't get to deduct the taxes, you put it into your IRA, and then you take that money and you convert, also known as transfer, that into your Roth. So now, I don't know why that's kind of allowed by the IRS, but that that is. We do that all the time for clients. It's not really enforced. So like you're able to get money into the Roth IRA, you need to make sure that you do not have an IRA balance while you do this because you run into something called the pro rata rule. And so if you have $100,000 and you do this strategy and you convert $7,000, you're actually almost all that is a taxable conversion because of the pro rata rule. So watch out for that. Don't 
don't go and do this because we said so. Disclosure, disclosure. Uh, did I explain that? So are these things that like, let's say I'm not working with an advisor or anybody else and I, can, could I technically go do this on my own by myself? Do people yes. do that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That seems really complicated. Well, so I'll give you an example. I'll just call it Cindy. I met Cindy about a year ago and they were doing, they thought they were doing their backdoor Roth contributions. So they were contributing into an IRA and not deducting it. So they were doing the the non-deductible IRA contribution, but they weren't converting it to Roth. So they had like two years of contribution sitting there in their Roth and I met him and we kind of cleaned it up. But it is a little, it is complicated, except I, you know, I do 50 a year. So versus, you know, other people are doing one. So it's a, you know, a little less cumbersome for me. Yeah. It's but, probably the uphill climb is doing it the first time, right? Or like the yes. first year. And then yes. you, you kind of know Correct. your way around. Correct. Do you know about the spousal IRA, Fabian? Um, so I've, I've heard of it. We've talked about it. It doesn't necessarily apply, I don't believe. To me, maybe it does. Um, so I've spent much time with I'm it. hoping it applies to me one day. So when Austin is rich <laughs> and successful and decides to keep me around and I retire, you can do what's called a spousal IRA contribution. So you hear all the time, like, oh, my partner didn't work this year. They can't really do any IRA contributions. Not true. So if only one of you has income, you can contribute on behalf of your spouse. So let's just say I'm making $0 and Austin's making a million dollars. She can make the spousal IRA contribution. For me, you need to make sure that you're meeting all the other IRA rules as well that we just talked about. But you can still contribute on behalf of your spouse. So you get the classic stay-at-home mom Mm -hmm. or dad. dad. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. And you can still do that. So I think you said this, but I just want to be more clear on it. Does this spousal IRA supersede, like, does that go over some of the other AIG? Is that, am I using that term correctly? Like cutoff limits? So like if you make over, I guess, $153,000, could you still contribute the $7,000 on behalf of your spouse? Yeah. So you need to double check the rules on doing that one. I believe they're pretty similar. And I actually, in the show notes, I have directly linked to that rule. So it's called the K. Bailey Hutchison Spousal IRA Limit in there. So that's why I would say just always double check the rule before doing this. But typically, the people I'm working with are kind of phased out. So you do a, you do the non-deductible IRA, spousal mm-hmm. IRA contribution, and then you convert it to Roth. That's what we're typically Got doing it. for clients. Got so it. like that's why I don't really know the rules because... You're going through the back door. Well, because all of our clients are phased out. So I don't know what they Wow. <laughs> yeah. Those yeah. are the first world problems, Sam. Oh. My, cli- my clients make sh- too much money. <laughs> champagne problems. It's yeah. called champagne problems. <laughs> Speaking of champagne problems, uh, we live in the United States where we will probably have to figure out healthcare for ourselves. So another great account. If you are in a high deductible healthcare plan, once again, I have linked to what a high deductible healthcare plan is in the in the show notes. It is a certain amount of deductible that you're you're paying. I don't have that tattooed on myself either, but you're able to contribute into a health savings account. I believe you guys have a HSA as we they do, call it. yes. Yep. So this year for a family, you can contribute up to eighty three hundred into that. And we love HSAs here. Can you tell me why, hey, Fabian? I can keep putting you on the spot. It's just another savings vehicle, right? It's like another type of savings vehicle that 
that continues Boom. to grow, right? And it's triple tax free. Oh, that's so, the one. Boom. Yeah. Yeah. Boom. So, uh, you put like little booms in there. Uh, so you got, you don't pay payroll tax, you don't pay income tax and you don't pay any growth on the tax either. So woohoo. And can you keep that as long as you can keep like your 401k or is there like, yep. mm-hmm. um, no. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. It rolls over every year. That's like a misnomer. People think that you have to spend it every year. You don't. So it's like, uh, it's just like another investment account that's growing. And you can uh, transfer that if you were to leave your company to like a different type of account. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Into another HSA. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. So it's your, your money's. So I, I did learn one thing this year, uh, cause we just switched health care providers and they were offering a child care FSA or something like that. Yeah. That we could actually deduct up to, I mean, this doesn't, it helps, but it's not great. But I think it was like $3,000. Yeah. I think it's like three grand this year, yeah. which is like, what, like a week and a half of childcare. <laughs> literally, literally a month <laughs> Yeah, for two yeah. kids. Yeah. It's not, yeah, it's not, you're like, oh, that's great. So make sure you take care of advantage of that as well. And if you're just now listening to this and you haven't done anything for 2023, you can still go back and make your 23 contributions for your IRAs and HSAs in arrears. So you make a contribution now, it's just like, oh, it's a 23 contribution up until 415, April 15th of this year. The one contribution that you can't go back and do is like your 401ks. So like if you have a, if you, what's interesting though, so if you have an employer, employee 401k, like I can't go back and make extra contributions. But if I have a solo 401k, my own, like I believe you have one, Fabian, you can go back and make contributions for the last year up until you file your taxes. Right, right. So we're going to get into this distinction, but I want to ask what the difference is because you make a specific point here in the newsletter to say that one is better than the other. Mm. And so I'm on the end that is not as good as the first, right? So I am not doing a solo one 401k, I'm doing a SEP IRA. Now oh, don't goodness. ask me why I'm doing it. And, and maybe you can ask me other questions and we can figure this out. But it was advised that this is the way that I go. Why'd they say that? So I, I transferred from an LLC okay. to uh, S Corp, right? So now mm-hmm. I'm my own W-2 employee. Yeah. So I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but- Doesn't. You I'm can pretty still do sure solo. I'm almost 100% positive that I've got a SEP IRA. Yeah. So this is solo this, 401k. This is a great example. You can still do a solo because you're the only employee, correct? Until next month. Okay. So this is a great distinction. So if you're hiring people on to your company as a full W-2 and not a 1099, solo 401k gets a little hairy because that's why you want to do a SEP. I think that that explains it because I set this up about a year and a half ago and on my goals was hire people. So yeah. I think that's why they set me up on it. Okay. Glad we figured so, that out. <laughs> yeah. So like you can't, you can't have an employee and do a solo 401k. I'm forgetting the exact rule of it, but you can't do it while you have employees. So that mm-hmm. that's why you have a SEP. But if you're still like a solo entrepreneur, I love solos over SEPs. Contribution limits are higher and you can still do the backdoor Roth IRAs. You can't do that with a SEP IRA. You need to make that into a shirt. Do we need merch? Solo over SEP? <laughs> Maybe. I, mean, I actually have a book behind me on solos. So, uh, yeah. Okay. Any questions? That was like a quick rundown of kind of the the numbers there. No, we, we hit on the big question. When I read the newsletter, I was like, okay, I need to figure out why I'm doing a SEP <laughs> and not the solo 401k okay. if one is better than the other. But we figured that yeah. out. And then, you know, some of the ambiguity on um, 
you know, why you can't contribute. And you answered that. And, you know, if you read the newsletter, just you get priced out for AGI. Yep. Right. Like why you can't do that stuff. So mm-hmm. the next thing's the market, unless you have any other tax questions. No. Okay. So I know you have a small child that you're trying to keep alive. <laughs> so you probably don't know that the market hit an all time high. Only because I'm friends with you. <laughs> <laughs> what a great friend I am. Humble brag. So two weeks ago, the S&P 500 closed at an all-time high of uh, 48.29. That number doesn't really matter where it's at, but all-time high. And the last one was actually right around January of 2022. So it was been a little while. Do you do you want me to bring you back and kind of talk about the bear market of 22, or do you want to? Skip yeah, it? let's Good. let's take it back. <laughs> okay, I love so. a good history lesson. So what really happened is it was all Biden's fault. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> so 2022, we have inflation and the Federal Reserve is, is raising rates to combat that inflation. And you just had really high stock market valuation. So when you look at valuations, that's price to earnings multiple. And that was at roughly around 20, where the average is around 16 to 17 times. So with rising rates from the Federal Reserve, valuations tend to come down. Also, earnings came down a little bit from the COVID uh, kind of spikes. So lower earnings, lower valuations, you get a sell-off in the market. That's generally what happened over 2022. And people kind of lost their minds over it because they forgot that stocks could go down after the great run we had post-COVID. Um, and then, so stocks tend to kind of, I call, take the elevator down and escalator back up. So really quick drops, and then they just take their time to come back up. So that's what 23 looked like is slowly grinding higher. Things got better. Valuations got better. Earnings look better. Economic growth is still doing well and no recession happened. So boom, back at all time highs. How did we miss out on a recession? Oh, well, it's if you look at employment. Uh, employment never really went down. So I think employment throughout all of this has been like around 3.5 to 3.8. So I always keep looking at if employment's strong, we're probably not going into a recession. What we just went through is just S&P 500 sell off and people were freaking out as interest rates went from historic lows to like probably where they should be for like a well-functioning economy. Yeah. And what's, and and we've talked about this on previous episodes, but like, you know, obviously you hear the headline or you read the headline rather of all the tech layoffs, right? And that's just one sector of the economy, Mm -hmm. but like, where are the majority of these like job openings or or jobs that are being created? Like, where is that coming from? That's a really good question. I know I can find that and actually wrote about the tech layoffs in 22, Pretty much what happened is they overhired in 21 and we're correcting for that. But tech is still, I think, only like three to five percent of the workforce. So it does grab headlines and it always sucks. I mean, we have friends at Salesforce that lost their jobs and always feel for them. At the same time, smaller part of the economy, as long as like me and you are buying stuff from Amazon and consumers are continuing to spend money. Layoffs suck, but it's also a very headline grabby thing to read. Yeah. Do you know how often the market is at an all time high? Because the question I get all the time, well, this is two questions, so poorly phrased, but people will be like, oh, it's at all time high. Should we sell? So by putting it to context, kind of walk through how I try and advise clients on that. That just sounds like bad, bad, bad business. What? Selling at an all time high. Why do you think? Bad business selling at all time high? Yeah. People want to like, do it all the time. But 
I, I just don't understand why, right? Like, and, and maybe it's just saving. your approach to, of course, right? Buy low, sell high. Yeah. But the money's the money's made over the long term, right? So like, yeah. And aren't you like paying taxes on all that growth? Yes. So you just yeah. want to come to a client meeting. It'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be great. I'm, I'm right. like not the smartest guy in the room ever, right? But like some of this stuff that just like doesn't make sense. But you are the most handsome, so it evens out. Yeah. So like to answer the the question. The S&P 500 is within 5% of an all-time high 44% of the time. So a lot of the time, almost half if we're rounding up, we're at an all-time high. So I 100% agree with you, but it's just like human nature. I'm at an all-time high. I want to sell in. I want to lock in my profits. And I'm like, this is great. That means when we're at all-time highs, that actually means we're probably going to get more all-time highs. So like, stay in it. We don't have a reason to sell. And also you're right. We're going to pay taxes on it. Isn't it kind of analogous to the housing market? Like if you want to sell when it's at an all-time high, like you still have to go buy another house, right? Which will also be at an all-time high. So it's like if you're taking out profits because you hit an all-time high, like are you then just done investing until it gets like really low? That's what people try and do. And that's like timing the market. And it's incredibly hard to do because what you have to do is you have to be right twice. Um, and if you ask my fiance, me being right once is just shocking. So what people want to do is they want to sell high and you kind of put it into bonds or cash, which are hold the value. And then they wait for the market to go down and then they buy back up. But you have to be right on the top of the market, which is incredibly hard to do. And you need to be correct on the bottom of the market. And what I tend to see is people who are a little jittery and want to sell at the top, they don't really have the gumption to buy when things are down 20, 25%, because they're always like, it's going to go lower. That's why, you know that, have you seen Forgetting Sarah Marshall? Have I seen what? Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Yes. Where the surfing lesson, where he's like, just <laughs> yeah. do less. I'm usually that guy who's just like, just do less and we'll be fine. You're doing, you're doing too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and I like to throw this out here. So whenever the market is an all-time high, 12 months later, you have an average return of 7% and it's positive 70% of the time. So history says you're looking pretty good. One other thing I wanted to point out is, you know, obviously we didn't have a recession in 22 or 23. And now we're getting what I call the economic vibes, which is the consumer consumer sentiment is turning around, which is favorable for economic conditions too. And a lot of that just stems from inflation is now lower than wage gains. So people are not feeling crimped at the grocery store. Gas prices don't suck anymore. Things are generally better for the average American when it comes to what you call real, which means you take in consideration inflation. Real wages are doing better. I feel better. I'm happier. I go buy more services and whatnot. Tell that to Whole Foods. Tell them that inflation's over. (laughs) Well, I mean... I mean, we do shop at Whole Foods as well and also Trader Joe's and it's alarming. To, the The difference yes. is alarming. Yes. Well, my annoyance to get on the soapbox is I just want to freaking go to Trader Joe's and just get the stuff I want there. But you can't because Trader Joe's wants the life can't be perfect. I just want to go <laughs> there and get all my stuff. But you can't. You can't. You yeah. can't do it. You can't. Oh. You, you can barely do it at Whole Foods, too. Oh, we just get like our produce and stuff from Whole Foods because yeah. it is better than like the Kroger. 
Um, so you have a specific company listed here in, in the newsletter, which is interesting because I wanted to bring up in my burning question section, another company. So talk a little bit about this Eli Lilly thing. Yeah, I just have found this interesting. So humble brag, I've lost weight before from playing football. <laughs> um, but I know it, I know it's, it was very difficult for me and I was younger then, but like, for example, like my dad is on, I think he's on Wagovi. I forget which weight loss drug is he's on, but like Eli Lilly and I've also talked about Novo Nordics. These companies are just, do not go out and buy these just because I said they're doing very well right now. But it's just interesting to see that Eli Lilly is now the ninth biggest company in the United States. And Novo Nordics, I think, is either the first or second biggest in, in Europe right now. And this kind of all comes down to the GLB-1 inhibitors that they've kind of discovered. The, the interesting thing, though, is once you're on these things, you pretty much have to be on them for life. Because if you look at the chart in here, you've got the placebo, which I think is just dieting. People lose about 3% body weight, but if you're on uh, semaglutide, you lose 17% uh, body weight until you stop treatment and then you gain like two thirds of it back. So like once you start these drugs, I don't think you can stop. That's how they get you. Yeah. So I just found that interesting. Do you know how expensive these drugs are? I listened to another podcast the other day. (laughs) I think... I think Ozempic is like $1,000 a month. Who? Yeah. And I don't know how much insurance covers of that. But like if you're doing off-label, which I think the people I know are doing off-label, I think you're paying like $800 a month for it. Gosh. Yeah. That's crazy. So, yikes. That's why everyone in Hollywood's doing it. Yeah. Well, they can afford it for sure. Yeah. What was your question? Uh, so th- I was reading, do you read the hustle? No, I don't know what that is. Not the hustle. It's a, it's a great newsletter that just kind of has pop culture stuff, business stuff, a okay. bit of everything. Uh, yeah. but one of the couple things stood out to me, one, they talked about how meta added $197 billion to its market value last week. Oh yeah. It was the biggest single day gain ever. That's kind yep. of crazy. Uh, yep. and they said that Mark Zuckerberg for his, his fortune jumped to $28 billion. Something like that. Yeah. That's insane. Is there a question? Do you know there? what the, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what the previous, like, I need some context around the biggest single day gain. 197 billion is so much money. Like that number's kind of unthinkable. Yeah. To wrap um, your head around. Um, I remember seeing a chart on this, but it's just, Big companies like that typically don't move in such large fashions um, like that. I think a lot of them just kind of happen around COVID. But pretty much Meta came out with stronger earnings. They have kind of are apparently a leader in AI is what they're saying. So they went from spending all that in the reality lab um, sector, and they've kind of shifted that into AI. And, and they're doing a dividend. So you've got better earnings. Apparently, they're killing an AI and like a dividend. So the stock just went bananas on Friday. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And then the other thing here, this is just interesting because it kind of, it kind of touches into people that you work with, maybe on the fringe, maybe not. Uh, but it says, so again, this is from the hustle, but it says doom spending is a designer security blanket for young Americans. And it kind of just talks about how uh, Gen Z is spending a lot more money than they actually have and taking on more debt. But the 
the, the one statistic that really stood out to me, it said 47% say the amount of money they're saving has decreased and 52% say they have less than $2,000 in savings. So in your experience, maybe Gen Z is too young for you to be working with, but do you have any kind of just anecdotal uh, like insight onto kind of this trend with, with Gen Z, right? And, and how that compares to like millennials? Or, or older generations. So if you look at any of those surveys where it's like, how much money do you have in like an emergency? It's always really high. So like that doesn't surprise me. I've talked about this before in another newsletter is I think our savings rate is going to change because of COVID. And I, I don't know if doom spending per se, but I think, I think annual spending or excuse me, annual savings was like around six to seven percent and that was because of 2008 so people got waxed in 2008 and savings rates became a lot higher because of that you live through anything kind of crazy like that you're probably gonna want a little bigger cushion and what i think is going to happen is we're going to go back to previous savings rates which were lower so like a three to four percent so it doesn't surprise me that we're seeing lower savings rate in gen z because it used to be way lower in the past and only changed because of 2008 so do alarm bells go off in your brain at all to think that there's a generation coming up behind us that will not have like retirement (laughs) that's their problem (laughs) <laughs> but do, I mean, do, like when I read that, that's what that's what I thought about immediately. It's just like there's going to be a generation that just is completely unprepared to retire. Like, and I don't want I don't, I don't want to get political, so I'll just stop there. But no, let's get political. Uh, no, I mean, no. like it doesn't bother me because like pre 2008, I'm looking at now the savings rate was only like 2.53, and that was kind of like our parents' generation savings rate. And then after 2008, it creeps up to sixes, sevens. So from it to go from like five to six to like three to four, which was what happened in the 2000s, doesn't really bother me. I mean, like those people will figure out a way to, to save in the future. Um, you've just seen over every year that the savings rate has kind of come down. So if you look at the 70s, you've got like a 10% savings rate, but that was because there were more recessions and things back then. Interest rates were higher. So I don't have a big political statement behind it. I think people are going to do what they want to do. And, you know, we just went through this most traumatic kind of 2020 COVID. So I think people are just felt like they lost a year of their life and they're trying to get it back. I don't know. Who am I to judge? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anything else? That's what you got for me. That's everything. Well, if uh, anyone has questions, comments, or wants to shoot some feedback our way we are always around thank you for listening and we're back and we're back we're back we're back back, baby Bye. bye